The following recording is from the Parramatta Christian Church pulpit series. These sermons are freely available at pcc.org.au. It's February. It's time to... No. And our theme for Christmas was the light of the world. The light of the world has come. Jesus has come. And I, now that we've moved past Christmas and we're in kind of the new year and into February, I don't want us to kind of lose the significance of the fact that the light has come, that Jesus has come, that His light has shone into the world and shone into our hearts and changed everything. And, and we, we don't want to forget the implications of that. And, and that's why our theme this year is Radiate. We're, we're talking about how we can continue to shine the light of Jesus, not just at Christmas time where we decorate our houses and have glowing stars and, and all of those kind of commercial things we do, but how do we live a life that radiates Jesus all of the time? And so this morning we're kind of launching a new series called Reach Out, and our focus is going to be on, I was going to say evangelism, but that's a dirty word for some people. So I'm going to say mission. Because if I say evangelism, you're all going to switch off and go, oh, I don't do evangelism. So mission. I don't know why evangelism is such a bad word in churches sometimes. It just means good news. Good news. Sharing the good news. But I know for some of you, you're already kind of thinking, oh, that just means a particular kind of thing. Well, let's lose that. Let's talk about mission because that's what we're all supposed to be on The Great Commission is a mission that Jesus entrusted to all of us, that we were supposed to go. We were supposed to go and be something and be witnesses and disciple people and bring people to a knowledge of Jesus, to shine the light, as it were. So we're beginning this new series throughout this month. Alpha's launching at the end of the month. We've got Rachel um, from Alpha. She's the national coordinator, I think, for Alpha coming to speak in a couple of weeks. So we're really wanting to focus on getting us as a church to think about mission. And so this morning, I want us to turn in our Bibles to John chapter 9. We're just going to look at a few verses that talk about doing the work of God. Doing the work of God. And already, even in that title and and that statement, it sounds confusing because why would we need to do the work of God? God's work is His work. Why do we need to do that? And so that's why we're going to explore this in these few verses And John chapter 9, verses 1 to 5, this is what it says. As he went along, he saw a man blind from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Neither this man nor his parents sinned, said Jesus. But this happened, his blindness happened so that the works of God might be displayed in him. As long as it is day, we must do the works of him who sent me. Night is coming when no one can work. While I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Father, we just pray that your Holy Spirit will stir our heart for mission. Father, your heart is for the world that's lost and broken, and your desire is to reconcile that world to yourself. And you've given the church, us, your people, this mission to be reconcilers, ambassadors of Christ. I pray that we will live out this calling faithfully in our city, that we would see this vision, Lord, of seeing our city and the nations transformed by the good news of Jesus. Use us, we pray. Challenge us this morning in Jesus' name. 
Amen. So I want to explore this passage very briefly, very simply this morning, uh, under four words, all starting with D, which is very, very easy. The first one is darkness. We're told that Jesus was walking along and he saw a man born blind from birth. This conveys this idea that, again, this man was born blind. He was, he was in the darkness from the beginning. He was plunged into a world of darkness, not by anything he'd done. And back in Bible times, back in this day, blindness was considered to be a particularly severe and harsh form of suffering. And to be born blind even more so. And all around us, we, we live in a world full of suffering and pain. We live in a world of, of death and war and famine and, and disease and cancer and, and all kinds of things. And many of us have come from places and experienced things personally. And all of us would know someone who's experienced the realities of suffering and darkness. Whether it's a broken relationship, whether it's drug and alcohol abuse, whether it's the loss of a child, whether it's something else that's just rocked their world and, and that's brought evil into their home and, and into their lives and, 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 and they've wrestled with the darkness. And as bad as suffering is and as bad as war and you know, child slavery and the sex trade and all of that is, the Bible seems to allude to a greater darkness. And this idea of spiritual blindness and spiritual darkness. In fact, even here, John uses this experience of this blind man and, and to, to, to kind of talk about this spiritual darkness. And so when he gets to, towards the end of the chapter, that's really what John is focusing on. And Jesus is engaging with the, the Pharisees and the leaders. And he, and he says this, verse 40, some Pharisees who were with him heard him say this and asked, what, are we blind too? And listen to Jesus' response. If you were blind, you would not be guilty of sin. But now that you claim you can see, your guilt remains. Jesus recognized that these Pharisees who had their life altogether were suffering from a greater form of darkness. The spiritual inability to see Jesus. And in 2 Corinthians 4.4, 4, you know, Paul talks about this idea. And he says, the God of this age has blinded people so they can't see the light of the glory of God in Jesus. They just can't see it. And so as bad and as harsh and as painful and as devastating as suffering in the world is, the Bible seems to say that there is a greater evil, a greater darkness that we need to wrestle with as a church. So how do we as Christians, how do we as the church, how do we as God's people who claim that we see the light and we know the light and we are walking in the light because Jesus has come into our life, how do we live in a world that's characterized by suffering and spiritual blindness? Well, in church history, there's always been two extremes. One is those people who say, look, people just need the gospel. We're just going to preach the gospel. It doesn't matter about meeting human needs and, and changing things and speaking out against injustice. None of that matters. They just need the gospel. Let's just preach to them. If they just come to believe in Jesus, everything will be okay because they'll be going to heaven and it doesn't matter what they suffer here on earth. Let's just not worry about that. And then on the other extreme, you have those who are very committed to social action and, and social justice, and, and they want to do something about humanitarian need and, and do something to speak out and, and help the poor and, the, and right the wrongs in the world. But they're not so committed to preaching Jesus. And they say, well, let's not offend anybody. Let's just help people and let's just care for people and love people and, and not tell them about Jesus and that they're going to hell and, and all this kind of really difficult, hard to grasp. Thing. Let's not worry about that. Let's just be kind and, and loving and and generous. John Piper at the Lausanne Conference a few years back, which is a, a world congress of churches that meet to talk about advancing the mission of God on earth. He, he made this profound statement, 
And he said he, he thought for days and days about just this one sentence. And he said, he said this, Christians care about all suffering, especially eternal suffering. And when he was asked why he made that statement, he said, because I wanted to challenge people on both extremes. I wanted to challenge people who think that, you know, we're just going to preach the gospel because we care only about eternal suffering. To say, no, the Bible calls Christians to call, to, to be concerned, to engage with all suffering. And then on the other extreme, he said, I wanted to speak to those people who just want to live in the here and now and alleviate human suffering in the here and now because there is a greater suffering that Christians ought to also especially be concerned about. And at PCC, that's my heart. I want us to care about both. I want us to care about all suffering, but especially eternal suffering. And that's why we have food care. But I don't want to just have food care that feeds the hungry. And that's why even in our prayer meeting this morning, Vera was leading us prayerfully and passionately to pray that those physically hungry people will also have their spiritual hunger met. I want to not only put food in people's bellies, I want to point them to the, the heavenly bread that comes down that satisfies eternal hunger, the living water that can only be found in Jesus that satisfies the thirst of our soul. I want us to do both. Both. The disciples, in verse 2, they see this blind man, and the disciples ask him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Again, the disciples are picking up on a, 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 a very common idea at the time that this kind of suffering was a direct result of sin. And because this man was born blind, the disciples were confused. And they're like, well, who sinned? Because if he was born blind, then either he must have sinned in his mother's womb, which again, some people in this day believe that you could do that. Or maybe it was his parents' sin that brought about this outcome. And so they were asking in their minds what was a very legitimate question to ask because they were trying to figure out this theological question. And I want you to see here the, the distraction that can often take our focus away when we're faced with suffering. A distraction. What, what is significant for me is that in the face of this great suffering, the disciples care more about resolving a theological question in their minds than dealing with compassion for this person. And how often do we see today the church making the same mistake? In the face of great suffering, you know, when the tsunamis came, you know, people said, oh, it's because they sinned. There's the judgment of God. When the bushfires came into Victoria, it was because of their anti-abortion laws and God's just, or abortion laws, and God's just judging them for it. More recently in Orlando, the shooting, lots of Christians got on the media and got on social media saying, oh, it was because of the gays. They deserve it. It was God's judgment for them. That's not what I see Jesus doing. And sometimes when Christians reach for petty, trite answers, we come across just judgmental and not loving and not compassionate. That is not the work of God. That is not the heart of Jesus. And so Jesus responds to the disciples and he says, neither this man nor his parents sinned. He's saying to them, don't get distracted by theological issues. And you know what? It is great to wrestle with suffering and, and the theology of it and try to understand. So it is, I'm not saying I'm a theologian and I love wrestling with this stuff, but that at the end of the day, when people are going through suffering, they don't want profound answers. What they want is a savior who can rescue them and, and, and promise them a hope for a better future. And Jesus says, neither 
this, was, this happened that the works of God might be displayed in him. The works of God. The, the next word I want us to engage with is this idea of display. Display. And again, Jesus is not saying that God caused this man to be born blind just so that Jesus could do the miracle. Not at all. What Jesus means is that today, evil will not have the last word. This man is going to encounter the light of the world and his life is never going to be the same. See, in John chapter 5, Jesus does say to a crippled man to be careful and not to go away and sin lest something worse happens to him. For sure, sometimes our suffering, and we all know this intuitively in our heart, is because of the dumb things we do. Our sinfulness brings about suffering for ourselves and definitely to others. And other people's sinfulness and brokenness brings suffering into our lives. We've all experienced that as well. So Jesus is not saying that no suffering is caused by sin, but he's saying in this instance, it had nothing to do with that, which means not all suffering is as a result of sin. There is a thing called evil in our world that transcends our personal sinfulness, that goes beyond the brokenness that we see in our world. There is an agent of evil that kind of underlines everything, even our own rebellion and our own sinfulness, and that is Satan himself. And sometimes our culture doesn't want to acknowledge the existence of that evil entity known as Satan. But the Bible everywhere acknowledges him. And so Jesus says that this blind man's situation is not going to be the last word that he was going to see the power of God, the display of God's work. And in the Gospel of John, John particularly writes in, in, in such a way that every miracle that Jesus did was meant to be a signpost, a signpost that pointed people to who Jesus was, that he was sent by God to be the Savior of the world. And Jesus is quoted repeatedly in John talking about him coming to do the works of God and to speak the words of God. And in, in John chapter 6, uh, after Jesus has you know, fed these people and they come looking for him because they want to get an, uh, another free feed, Jesus rebukes them and says, no, you're, not, you're getting caught up in the sign, but you're not seeing that it's pointing to me. This is the work that the Father desires from you, that you believe in the one that he has sent. Because it's not just about putting belly food in your belly. It's not just about opening blind eyes. Those were signs that pointed to a much deeper, much more profound reality. The ultimate work that Jesus came to do is not just deal with the individual effects of evil, though he did that throughout his ministry. It was to deal a death blow to the architect of evil once and for all. And so all of Jesus' work is pointing him to the cross. It's to the cross. And, and, and the ultimate work of God that Jesus came to do and to display for all of us is him dying on a cross to actually break the power of evil over us once and for all by paying the debt that we owed for our own rebellion and sin. And so all of this work, Jesus opening this man's eyes, is, is just a foretaste of the reality that was to be for everyone through the, the defeat of evil at the cross. And so Jesus is wanting to display this incredible work of God that we would believe in Jesus. And so in our work, as we do whatever we do, as we feed hungry people, as we speak out against injustice, as we care about the suffering in our world, let's not see that as an end in itself. 
but as an opportunity to point beyond that to the deeper reality of the work of Jesus on the cross where evil itself has been vanquished. And that the hope that we have, that one day God will restore all things and make everything right, and that evil will once and for all be defeated. Satan will be cast into the lake of fire. And it is all because Jesus died on the cross and rose again, triumphant, overcoming sin and Satan and death. That is the display that Jesus wants our works to point to. As we do our work in the world, as we engage with mission, as we care for people, as we alleviate suffering, as we tell them about Jesus, it's to point them, always point them to the finished work of Jesus on the cross. Otherwise, it means nothing. It means nothing. Jesus goes on. The last word I want to focus on is this idea of duty. Duty. This is where we step into the the narrative. Notice what Jesus says, verse 4. As long as it is day, who must do the work? We. Not me. Not I. He could have said, I must do the work. No, he didn't. He said, we. It includes the disciples. And by theological extension, it includes the church. We. We must See, Jesus in John chapter 14 said a a statement that many people have wrestled to understand. John 14, 12, I think it is. Jesus said, and you will do greater works when I go to the Father. And people have kind of wondered, what what does the greater works mean? Ah, Surely Jesus did some profound things, walked on water, turned water into wine, you know, fed 5,000 people with bread and fish. I don't know anyone who has ever done anything remotely close to that. In what sense greater? Well, most Bible scholars believe that the greater is not in extent, but in spread. That through the church, the the mission of Jesus goes beyond a localized community. It extends to the world. And so the book of Acts opens with Luke saying that this is what Jesus began to do now that the church continues to do. And in Peter's first sermon, more people get saved than in Jesus' whole ministry. And from there, the gospel goes to the ends of the earth. It is through the church that we participate in the works of God. And in Ephesians 2 verse 10, Paul says that that God has given each of us a work to do, prepared before the the foundations of the world. In, In eternity past, God has already prepared good works for us to do. You see, God wants us to be part of the we. We must do the work. We are included, each and every one of us. There are no spectators in the kingdom of God. There are no people who sit on the sidelines and cheer other people on. No, we're all part of this team, this this, uh, amazing organization called the church that God is using to advance his kingdom and work on the earth. Notice Jesus says, we must do. This is not an optional extra. This is not one of those things that you can tick on your Christianity application and go, yeah, maybe, maybe not. No, it's not even a tick box. This is compulsory. This is expected. This is a necessity, Jesus says. This is something we must do. We must do the works of him. 
the works of him who sent me. See, just like Jesus was sent, we've been sent. John 17, Jesus said that. He was praying to the Father and he's saying, Father, as you have sent me, I am now sending them into the world. Just like Jesus was sent, heaven sent, with heavenly works to do, God has now sent each of us into our workplace, into our communities, into our schools, into our universities, into our neighborhood, sent ones with heavenly work to do, with God's work to do. We must do the work of him who sent me. And here's the urgency. Jesus says, night is coming when no one can work. And Jesus was referring to his soon coming betrayal and death on the cross. But beyond that, there is a time coming when God will call all things to an end. And we are in the last days. And there is an urgency for us to be about our Father's business. It's, it's time for the church to arise and, and take seriously our calling. There is no plan B. This is it. The church is the answer. The church is God's vehicle. The church is God's body in action on this planet. It is time for us to recognize the urgency and get mobilized to advance the kingdom of God. Night is coming when no one can work. And again, we don't appreciate that in the West because we work sometimes all through the night. But when I was in Africa, when the sun goes down, everything stops. Everything, everyone goes indoors and that's it for the day. And Jesus is saying there's coming a day when you won't be able to do anything anymore. As much as you'll, you have good intentions and noble desires, you just won't be able to because night will have come. But work now while it is day. Verse 5, while I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Again, Jesus is referring to the fact that he was not always going to be in the world. He was going to die on the cross. He was going to be raised to life, and he was going to be ascended again. But then as John continues, Jesus wrestles with this tension for the disciples of, well, what's going to happen if you're going to go? And Jesus from John 14 onwards begins to encourage them and say, even though I go, you will not be left as orphans. I will come to you, but through the Holy Spirit. And now after Acts 2, the Spirit of God has been poured out. So even though in one sense Jesus has gone to be with the Father and He's seated at the right hand of the Father, Jesus is still with us in the person of the Holy Spirit. And I want to say to you that as long as the church is in the world, Jesus is still here. Jesus is still here through the people of God filled with the Holy Spirit on mission. On mission. So as long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world, which is why in Matthew 5, Jesus calls his disciples to be salt and light, to be the city on the hill, because he's still here. The light of the world is still here, shining out and radiating through his church, through his people. It's kind of like God with gloves on. You know, I don't know if you've ever noticed a pair of gloves you can get all kinds of gloves, some with fancy studs on it. You get the leather work gloves. You get gardening gloves. You get all kinds of gloves. But you know what? Those gloves can't do anything. They just sit there lifeless. But when you put them on, it's like these gloves come alive. And they become animated and they begin to do things. The church is like that. On our own, we're nothing. We're completely powerless. We, we do nothing. We're just... Well, useless. But when we're clothed in Christ, when we're filled with the Spirit, when God empowers us, when God puts His hand inside of us, 
what an incredible privilege and an honor that God would even choose to use us. You know, some of our glove, gloves look pretty, pretty tattered and broken and, and worn and whatever, but God says, no, I want to use you in the world. And he puts us on and he begins to do his work through us. So yes, we are going to be talking about evangelism, but I want you to think broader than that. Don't think just standing on a soapbox in the middle of Church Street Mall, having to tell people the four spiritual truths. Mission is much more than that. God's work is much more than that. It is about caring and doing something about suffering. It is about caring about people's eternal destiny. It's about doing whatever God has entrusted you to do. And if God has placed you in your workplace, in your school, in your university, wherever you are, in your TAFE, in in, in that garage, in that office, in that hospital, wherever you are to do the work of God, Imagine yourself when you go to work, when you go to school, when you go out on the street, that you're a glove that God has his hand in and he's wanting to do his work through you. My question is, are we doing it? Are we aware? Are we recognizing the needs of those people around us? Or are we just ignoring them? Are we, are we, are we just thinking, I'll just preach Jesus to them, even though we have the opportunity to do something about that? Christians care about all suffering especially eternal suffering. Let's not lose that tension. I close with a final illustration. There was a movie I saw. I don't uh, know if I can recommend it because I don't remember all of it, but I remember this one scene. And it was these two magicians. And this guy loved magic and he always did magic tricks. And so he thought he was going to change the world through magic. And so one of these scenes is you see him taking all these magic tricks to this um, developing country where they don't even have food, you know, and so he gathers the whole village around and he's doing all these magic tricks and going, isn't this wonderful? Hasn't magic changed your world? And he's pulling out rabbits out of hats and stuff and you see this scene of this little kid pulling this rabbit out of the hat and he's walking around the back and he's got his mallet machete out and he's about to kill the rabbit to eat it for dinner. And I think sometimes we're like that. The church is like that, you know, like there's people starving and we want to tell them about Jesus and we think, come on, come on. We, we've got to fill their belly, but then point to the bread of life. Let's do both. Let's hold things in tension. And that's why I wanted Cesar to do uh, the missions report at this point, because this is us as a church actually doing something about things in the world. You know, and it's a great opportunity. And I want you to be praying this month that as a church, we would be more missional. We would be more outward looking. We would look for ways to radiate the love and the light of Jesus into our city and push back the darkness. That God would use us. That God would use us as a church collectively. That God would use you and me individually to make a difference in our world for the glory of Christ. Amen. Amen.